CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown here on Mike FM Winnipeg. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. And with the uh, 7-0 Edmonton Eskimos here in town this week, we have special guest uh, Eskimos color analyst on 630 Chad in Edmonton and also known as the only guy in Edmonton not on the six-game injured list right now. Dave Campbell, welcome to the show, Dave. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here, and yes, that is a fact. I am not on the six-team injured list. Um, yeah, that's a good. Um, a lot of injuries in Edmonton. We'll get into that yet. Uh, first of all, I think a lot of us coming into this year certainly weren't expecting the Eskimos to start 7-0 and to start the season, especially with the number of injuries they have. But what were your expectations for the team coming into this year? Yeah, I, I definitely wasn't uh, part of that group that felt that this was going to be a four-win or a five-win team. Uh, I felt that this was going to be uh, at least a ten-win team because uh, you look at the West; it's, it's it's competitive with the with the Calgary Stampeders and the and the BC Lions and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and you know the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We thought would be better, but we also thought that the Eskimos. I thought the Eskimos would be right in that mix. So. Uh, but I never expected seven and zero. I also never expected a you know they they would have twenty nine players uh, that miss at least one game in the season. Then several of them are on the six game injured list, and you got a few of those that are are out for the season. So uh, you know for them to be seven and zero is remarkable, but for them to be seven and zero through all the adversity with the injuries is just even more remarkable. So this was completely unexpected. Uh, I think more so the injuries than the record, but yeah, I would say both were unexpected, but no one expected the injury list to be this long. I mean, obviously, uh, Dave, it's, a lot has been made of the fact with the the general manager change and Ed Hervey uh, moving on, and then uh, getting the ass former assistant general manager of the Ottawa Redblats. You know, obviously, that was a good fit with Jason Moss and whatnot, with you know Moss's familiarity uh, with the. Uh, with, uh, of course, the new GM of the Eskimos. Are you surprised, David, which the way the Eskimos have gone about, you know, this 7-0, and you know, not necessarily blowing, you know, everybody out of the water per se, but, you know, doing just enough to win games by, you know, less than 7 points or within that 7-10 to 10 point range and just the way they've gone about it? Yeah, it's funny. On, uh, on Twitter last week, I got into a discussion with a couple of people about, um, you know, what, what does killer instinct mean in, uh, in sports? And, uh, you know, one, one Twitter, uh, someone on Twitter was telling me that it's, it should be about blowout. You should be able to, to run away from teams. And, and I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. That definitely happens. But, um, you look at the way the Eskimos have won and you're right that it's been, you know, in that five point, seven point, ten point range. They're, largest margin of victory was over the BC Lions and that was 11 points. But I think their fourth quarter uh and the way that they have played, I mean their their last four games they've outscored the opponent 47 to 16. So um when it matters and when it counts, uh the Eskimos are able to make the key plays at the right time and I think that's you know being able to close, being able to finish off opponents in the fourth quarter, I think that's that's what killer instinct means to me. So, no, they haven't, they haven't dominated teams. There's no question. There's been stretches where they have, but there's been stretches where they haven't played their best football. And I think the game last week in Ottawa, uh, I think was the uh, toughest test for the Eskimos and the toughest game for them because they, they barely escaped that game. Uh, you could say in one, in one respect, but in another respect, you can also say that they completely shut down, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, completely shut down the Red Blacks in the fourth quarter. So, um, they haven't played their best football, and uh, there are things they want to clean up, and uh, they don't want to, you know, stall in the red zone as much as they did, and they don't want to settle for field goals. And you know, when they have almost 500 or over 400 yards of offense, they want to put more points than 27, I'm sure. 
Um, but you know, I look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers too, and I, you know, they're not exactly uh, blowing up people out of the water. Well, except for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But, um, <laughs> that that was a fun but, one. Uh, we enjoyed that. Uh. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Uh, I'm sure you did. But yeah, I mean, they, they they won a couple of games this year coming from behind, right? And right. And I think when you're able to make the plays at the right times and uh, and come out with a win. Um, I think you take it no matter what because you could be the Ottawa Red Blacks, right? The the Bombers or the Eskimos could be the could be one six and one or somewhere similar to that record. So I mean the Red Blacks haven't been able to make the plays when they need them, and that's why they're in their, their situation. And the Eskimos have, and the Bombers have recently as well. So I think it's you know dominating teams, you know that 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 doesn't happen all the time. I mean even in the CFL when you have you know a, it's a small league with nine teams and. The Eskimos, you know, they had trouble playing against the Ticats. Traditionally, they always do. I don't know why it is. It's, it's strange to me, but um, but they found a way to win those games. So for me, I think I think uh, being a dominant team is just, you know, it's not necessarily blowing teams out. It's just being able to win when the, when it matters and in the fourth quarter and making the right plays. At the end of the day, uh, the amount you win by doesn't account for points in the standings. So. Um, one of the things I chalk up most to the 7-0 start for the Eskimos is certainly the depth. I mean, you've got third-string guys at a lot of positions, some even fourth and fifth strings. But another aspect, I would say, is the coaching this year from the Eskimos. This is a really well-coached football team. Jason Moss takes over as head coach last season, now in his second year as head coach of this team. What have you seen in terms of growth from him, and how has that affected this football team? Well, you know, ever since uh, the the turnaround happened last season at five and seven, this team has been twelve and one in the regular season. So uh, I think the identity of this team was was forged back in uh, late September and in October. And you know, it, and like you said, I mean, it was such a shocking circumstance after the 2015 Grey Cup championship that uh, Chris Jones takes his entire coaching staff and and goes to Saskatchewan and and. Then Ed Hervey, the, the then general manager, inserts Jason Moss. And a lot of people, including myself, thought, wow, that's, that's quite the quick progression for Jason Moss, who spent a few years, uh, as a coordinator or as, as an assistant coach with the Argos and then was a coordinator, offensive coordinator with the Red Blacks. And then all of a sudden he's a head coach and he's a head coach and offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, I felt that there were times last season where this team was a little bit shell shocked still by Chris Jones and his staff leaving. And just listening to the new voices, just, I mean, you're, you're going to get that with any team when you have a coaching change, um, is, you know, you're listening to new coaches, you're listening to new systems, um, even though some systems on offense were relatively the same, but there's, you know, always different concepts that every, every coordinator has. But then I think finally, you know, in that game last September against the BC Lions at home, when this team was down 14 nothing, it just clicked. It was like an enough, enough is enough moment. And uh, they've been a pretty good football team ever since. So, you know, and I, I tweeted it out after the game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats at home. I said, I've covered this league for 13 years and I have worked with and seen six head coaches. And I don't think Chris, or there's been no other coach that has done a better job than Jason Moss. And that is including Chris Jones, who has won a great cup. That's including, you know, Danny Machocha, who won a great cup back in 2005. So, um, you know, I think, you know, and as much as Jason Moss is, uh, you know, kind of a old school hardliner, and um, you know he's a very matter of fact kind of guy. We see him; he's very emotional still on the sidelines at times. Um, I think the players are are following what he's uh, what he wants, and you know they've definitely bought into what he and the coaching staff are selling. I mean, look at the defense; the defense is far and away their 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 best improvement from last year, and uh, they're you know one of the best defenses in the league now. So, uh, Jason Moss has done a phenomenal job in a short amount of time. Uh, Dave, another pl- another uh, reason, uh, another aspect as to why Jason Moss has done so well is, in, in my opinion, is helping Mike Riley along. I mean, obviously, you know, it's been well documented that, you know, Mike Riley was in BC before coming to Edmonton, and, you know, the story here that Joe Matt could have had, you know, Mike Riley for a lot less than what Edmonton wound up getting him for. That being said, are we seeing a different um are we seeing a different more more refined uh Mike Riley this season compared to you know he he's been a good quarterback in this time with the Eskimos, but is he taking his game to another level under Jason Moss this season? 
Yeah, I, I think so. And, uh, you know, when we saw Mike Riley in 2013, well, first in 2012, because he made his first start against the Eskimos, uh, you know, and, and we saw a quarterback that had a lot of swagger, a lot of command, um, but he was pretty rough around the edges, but you could tell he could make, he could make throws. He can, uh, he can compete out there. And then when he got the starter's job in Edmonton, when he was traded and he signed with the Eskimos, you know, we saw a lot of, uh, a lot of growing pains. Um, we saw a quarterback that could make some throws and we saw him, you know, have 300 yard passing games. We saw a 500 yard game in Toronto. But we also saw a quarterback. I think the decision making was a little bit, a uh, little bit, you know, left to be desired. And he would, you know, run quite a bit, and and he would take a lot of shots, and he would hang in the pocket and want to make the big play. And I think that carried over into the 2014 year. And I think it, late in the 2015 year, up until the Grey Cup, up to the or right up to the Grey Cup game, I think we started to see the uh, the maturation of Mike Riley that it just was becoming a better decision maker. Then Jason Moss comes in last year, and he passes for the most yards in his career, over 5,500 yards. And then this year, you know, he's not running as much as he used to. And that doesn't mean he's not using his mobility. He's using it in, in different ways. He's using it to extend draft plays alive and to give himself better throwing options. Now, we saw him run more against the Red Blacks, and that's the other part of Mike Riley that, you know, people maybe maybe forget is, uh, or not forget, but, uh, you know, people remember the way he used to run uh well he can still do that and you know he sensed that their run game wasn't really working very well with Ladarius Perkins and the boys up front uh and he takes matters into his own hands and he you know he gets 51 of his own rushing yards and the Eskimos at the end of the night have over 100 yards rushing right um but you know his leadership has been so much fun to watch because he came in with such a swagger in 2013 and, you know, he's got a cocky demeanor about him. I wouldn't say he's an arrogant guy, but I say he's, you know, very confident in himself. And that could go one of two ways. That could go, that could go to, uh, a, a direction that is toxic and, you know, his teammates don't like him and it's all about him and he's a jerk and that sort of thing. But it, he's not. He's, it goes the other way where he's confident in himself uh, so much that he's able to elevate his game and elevate everyone's game around him and, and people rally around him and, and look at what what has happened to his receiving core over the last number of weeks. It's been different guys in there in different spots in, in a lot of respects. And then last week against the Red Blacks, he had five new starters on his offensive line from the previous game against the Tiger Cats at home. What happens? They don't miss a beat all that much. The only thing you could argue that they didn't score enough touchdowns. That's probably the the thing that you would be most disappointed in. When you're uh, when you're looking at the Eskimos, but he was able to perform at such a high level and keep that offense clicking at such a high level, I think that's really impressive. And and Mike Riley is willing to do whatever it takes and help everyone around him be better. And I think that's what makes Mike Riley, you know, such a solid quarterback. He can make all the throws now. He runs when he needs to. He's just so darn smart. Jason Moss has a lot to do with it, but Mike Riley had that within him, and it just took uh, just took some time to see it. And once you're a starter in a league, it takes time to, you know, in the CFL and in football, it takes time for you to get used to being a starter and, and all the responsibilities around it. Not everyone can handle it as well as uh, as other quarterbacks. But Mike Riley's in the category of he can't handle it pretty well. And I think it's uh, I think it's pretty obvious at this point in the season that Mike Riley is going to be the uh, MOP at the end of the year. Uh, unless, you know, Ed Ganey forces five turnovers every game on the way out here. Um <laughs> Very true. Dave, when does this run for the Eskimos end, the 7-0 run so far? It's, I, you've got a couple games coming up next week, the Bombers this week, Saskatchewan the week after, and then the home-and-home home with the Stampeders, which personally, with all the injuries, I think is going to be a tough matchup for them. Uh, I guess give us a bit about the uh, the matchup with the Bombers this week and uh, how long you think this Eskimos run can go. Well, you mentioned those four games, and I have to think that one of those four games, at least, they're going to lose. Uh, because this is hard to keep going, uh, the way they have been with all the injuries. Although they are, they're starting to get some injured guys back. So that's, that's good news. Uh, but eventually, you know, it, it it's probably going to end at some point. It could end this Thursday against the Bombers. And if it does, so be it. I mean, you know, no team has gone 18 and 0, right? So you don't worry about it. But, you know, you also want to play well. But I think the Eskimos do stand a good chance of winning. Or have a shot of winning on, on Thursday in Winnipeg. They, they love playing at Investors Group Field so much so they have never lost there. 
um, even the Grey Cup game in in, uh, in 2015 against the Red Blacks. One of those stats we season. one of those stats we love to hear. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I, I I would imagine you don't, but uh, but yeah, they're comfortable playing there. Uh, but you know, I look at this matchup and I see the Bombers and the Eskimos very similar. Um, I look at these two teams that they are used to playing from behind. They're not afraid of it. They've had a lot of comeback victories between the two teams. These are two teams that like time of possession. They like first downs. Uh, they like to use their run game. Um, basically, the best defense is a good offense and time of possession, and it's been a weapon for both teams. Then look on the defensive side of things, and uh, both teams like to get quarterback pressure. Now, for the Eskimos, I mean, there's going to be no Amando Sewell this week or and probably for the next while, and Marcus Howard's likely out for the year, so now you're digging into your depth further, but, uh, you know, two teams that like to pressure the quarterback, so, and then you got special teams where, you know, Justin Medlock can bang it anywhere from, it seems like, inside plus territory, and he O'Neill's done a good job in place of Sean White, um, you know, so it's, it's a pretty even matchup. I think both teams got, you know, decent return options, decent cover options, so, this is going to be a close, close matchup, I think, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a marquee matchup uh, of the week, one of them anyway. I know Calgary and BC probably is another one, but uh, this is a big game. You know, I mean, the complexion of the West could really look a lot different after this week, uh, depending on who wins those two divisional matchups. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. And so are we as well. Uh, just to wrap things up, Dave, uh, where can people find your work or uh, interact with you on social media? Yeah, they can find me uh, on Twitter at Dave underscore Ched. You can also find uh, some of my work and also our Eskimos coverage. You can find it at uh, 630Ched.com under the Eskimos page. All right, sounds good. Thank you again for joining us here tonight. Um, go Bombers on Thursday, but I uh, <laughs> uh, hope you enjoy the game. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. should be a good one. And that was uh, Dave Campbell from 630 Ched in Edmonton joining us to talk the undefeated Edmonton Eskimos so far this season. Uh, Eskimos in town Thursday night uh, facing the uh, hometown Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I guess, Mike, uh, that's where we should start here. Uh, the Bombers this week going against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, a game that, I mean, looking at the stats paper, all intents and purposes, everyone should have picked them went to win coming in. But there was a lot of concern that, okay, is this the week Hamilton finally breaks out and wins football game? That didn't happen. The Bombers dominated the game from start to finish and didn't let up. And the rewards of their work didn't show up until the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, the Bombers' offense absolutely... That whole first quarter absolutely steamrolled Hamilton until they got to about the 35-yard line, the 30-yard line for the Ticats, and couldn't get the ball into the end zone from there, couldn't get into the red zone. It was a case of, you know, Justin Medlock kicked, uh, attempted eight field goals in this game, made six of them. While it's great to have such a kicker and the most accurate kicker in CFL history on your team, Having him attempt eight field goals in a game just shows how bad your offense is struggling to get into that end zone. Or on the flip side, how many points you're scoring regardless of not scoring at all? That's another way to look at it. Um, certainly, he's so reliable, you know, like in the past when it came to the Bombers, okay, Bombers take over on offense. Question is, are they going to get any points off of this drive? Now with Justin Medlock, I mean, all you really need to do is get to the midfield stripe and you've got a potential for three points because he booted a field goal from his own half in this game. 57-yard field goal uh, was one of his six he completed. He uh, had one off the upright and one blocked. So, I mean, uh, a great game for Justin Medlock. That's now 15 field goals he's attempted in the last two games. So getting quite a bit of work from the Bombers in that case, um, something that... I personally think as much as you say that it's something that the, uh, you know, it's good that they're getting points off these drives. You have to imagine what if the Bombers converted half of these drives into touchdowns in this game, they'd be over 50 points on the night and it would be even more of a blowout. So by not converting touchdowns on these drives that were successful, that were eating up time on the clock, that were, you know, moving down the field, 
the Bombers really kept the Ticats still hanging around in the game if they could have got something going. Early in that second quarter, touchdown by the Ticats put them down by three points as they missed a two-point convert. So, I mean, that's a concern for me, As you even though you say they dominated all night long, and I agree to an extent with that, um, the inability to get into the end zone could have really hurt the Bombers in the end. It did, it did, but it didn't. So, I mean, to me... This is gonna sound really nasty, but I think it has to be said. I fully see why Hamilton does not want a game. I, I agree with you. That is a mess, and I don't know how you do about fixing it. And you know, this was the second or third Hamilton game, but I watched, you know, entirely. I'm not even sure the problem is solved by firing Ken Austin. Oh, and this was admittedly the first game from the Ticats I've had a chance to watch the entire game from. Uh, you know, all season long, obviously, I've been following the highlights to these games, the stats, the scoreline, and the record and everything. And, you know, stats tell you one thing, but the play you see on the football field tells you another. And I agree with you on that one, that this Hamilton Tiger Cats football team, I don't think there's much going right for them at all this season at all. And it's very evident with the stats and the record and the score sheet uh, and the way they played against the Bombers this week really got nothing going. Uh, Bombers dominated time of possession early on in that game. Um, Ticats stuck around first quarter, second quarter for a little while, but when it came to the second half, it was all Bombers. Um, and the score really should have been higher than it was. Yeah, and you know what? I think at the end of the day, right, like I had huge concerns, to be quite frank with you. There has been games on papers where, you know, the Bombers should win but haven't won. And I think for me, we should just be impressed with the fact that the Bombers got the job done. And I would take the line out of what our guest Dave Campbell said. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying basically, who cares how you win as long as you win? Because, you you know, the Eskimos have won the biggest margin of victory is 11 points. The Bombers' biggest margin of victory before Saturday's game is not much bigger than that. It would have been that win against Toronto, right? Right. But basically, you know, you have to be able to win close games. And I mean, I said this last week, the Bombers' ability to win close games, even though they keep games close, will benefit them in the long run. If they can, they will become, they are a good football team. They will become a great football team the minute they start depositing some of these field goals into touchdowns. How do you think, uh, now obviously this game didn't need the late game heroics, the comebacks, the late drives all the way down the field in order to win this game. This was, for the most part, locked up going into the fourth quarter, I think it's safe to say. Um, How do you think that impacts the mindset of the teams they're playing against as they prepare to play the Bombers, knowing that, okay, you can get this lead in the fourth quarter, but, you know, this is a football team that full well can get that last second drive to win a football game. How do you think that uh, affects the preparation for the teams playing against Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Pardon me? Uh, in terms of the, their ability to get those late drives, march down the field. They've been the comeback kids, the cardiac kids, whatever you want to call them, in the fourth quarter this season. How do you think that affects the teams they're playing against in preparation for the Bombers? I think it affects it greatly, but I also think that they know that Winnipeg, when they play Winnipeg, the game isn't over till it's over. And, you know, Montreal learned a very harsh lesson on that two weeks ago. Uh, even uh, with the, the, game before, the game after Montreal, whoever we played there, the team escapes me for for right now. Is Toronto? Yeah, it's Toronto. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, Ottawa. They, Ottawa. 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 Sorry. Train hard. <laughs> I knew I knew it was an Ontario team. Um, no, I just think that the way the Bombers are playing is reminiscent of the way the entire CFL has been this year. You know, a couple of blowouts, notably involving Hamilton, unfortunately, again. But Edmonton winning close games, you know, Ottawa losing close games. It's It's just a reminiscent of... I don't think you can necessarily prep for it other than to tell your team you're going to play a full 60-minute effort against the Blue Bombers Did they play from opening kickoff seemingly last week, although they don't always start well. I would argue it's better how you finish. And if you don't, you know, if you're not paying attention to detail for the full 60 minutes, well, 
then the Bombers are going to keep coming back until other teams know that, and teams in general know that, you know, the CFL games are 60 minutes in length and you have to play the full 60. Now, one of the things you were telling me this week is that you uh, you think the Bombers' defense is starting to turn a corner. And, really uh, you know, it starts with the week before. Uh, prior to that game, uh, quarterbacks, I believe every game, throwing for over 300 yards against the Bombers. Yep. A lot of cases, some cases, 400. Um, they held Trevor Harris, one of the best passers in the league, to I believe it was 268 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this week, holding the Ticats to a total of 188 yards of offense. Granted, these are two football teams that have a combined win, one win, um, and like 13 losses. Yeah, but, but is Bombers' defense turning corner? Do you believe that? Or my my argument that I would have made is based on track record of these offenses, not the way they played this year. I mean, obviously, a couple bounces in Ottawa, you know, first in the East, a couple bounces as well, repair, you know, a couple changes in Hamilton as a decent record, but. The bottom line in this football game, and I think this is the best way to sum it up, Hamilton made mistakes. The Bombers made him pay. The Bombers did not make mistakes. Hamilton had no momentum because the Bombers didn't make sizable mistakes, i.e. interceptions, turnovers, costly penalties, and that that kind of thing. I think in terms of the Bombers' defense, we're seeing guys step up that normally we wouldn't expect to step up. Uh, In terms of, uh, you know, the regular guys you're expecting. Brian Walker. You're expecting Jamal Westerman to get the sacks, Mm -hmm. get the pressure. You're expecting that one side of the field, TJ Heath and Chris Randall, uh, that's going to cause nightmares for any receivers going up against them. Rod Carmichael's come around the last two weeks. He's played better. Um, Yeah, I'll admit to that. Um, but yeah, Brian Walker, especially that's one guy I wanted to bring up 21 years of age, um, possibly one of the youngest players in the CFL. I know he's the youngest guy on the bombers right now. Um, diving interception that really kind of sealed this game, even though it was pretty much over at this point, he's done an excellent job of filling in on that defense. And he's just one of those guys that stepped up big time. Uh, others I would argue along as well, Jackson Jeffcoat, who had a bit of a quieter game this week, but a big one the, the week before against the Ottawa Red Blacks, um, and in that home game, that wild finish against the Alouettes. And uh, Jake Thomas, for me, has been a guy that's really stepped up, made those big plays on defense this year. Uh, and I love watching Jake Thomas play. We haven't even talked about Drake Nevis yet. No, I think we've maybe mentioned him once this season. And that's just a testament to how well the Bomber uh, front four has played rotationally and the fact that they're getting help from other guys, which allow the the front four guys to be so successful. And I was really impressed with the amount of pressure that the Bombers were able to generate. That's one thing I wanted to see. Granted, Hamilton's offensive line is not the, you know, not the upper echelon of the CFL, I would have been concerned at that front four, but not been able to get pressure on Saturday. But for me, I, I think they really turned the corner. I want to see what they can do against the Edmonton Eskimos. And when you create pressure, you create turnovers. And that's something we right. didn't think they were going to do coming into this year. Keep that up from last year. Right. Bombers are uh, waving that in our faces and saying, now nah, we got this. We're still going. And it's weird because, you know, I, I, I think, I don't know, I got the sense from Dave and this might be me tooting a blue bomber horn here, but there might be some concern at Edmonton that, you know, this 7-0 and start might, you know, cool down a little bit here in the next couple of weeks. Like, I, I anticipate, I don't know, I, I got the sense that I don't know if he was, because he was on Winnipeg Radio or, or what, but I don't know if he feels very confident in the fact that the, Eskimos are going to win. I, I, I could be wrong, but I, 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 I think he's painting this to be a much closer game, and I think it will be. Well, I think we're in for an interesting matchup with that because these are two football teams that really come uh, finish strong in a football game, right? Um, like he, like Dave Campbell talked about with us at the start of the show today, um, the Eskimos, they're 7-0, and but their wins haven't been blowout wins. They've been those gritty wins, finishing a game off late when they need to, getting those key first downs, those key defensive plays. And that's the thing the Bombers have done late, uh, late in football games when they step up and play their best football. So 
Uh, I think this is going to be a really gritty football game between these two teams. Um, I'm hoping, given that we're from Winnipeg, that the Bombers finally beat the Eskimos at uh, Investors Group Field. But I, I, I think this is going to be a tough football game uh, for both sides to come out of this one. Um, and I'm interested to see how it goes. In terms of wrapping up this game against the Ticats, uh, you said when we first started talking about it that uh, this was really the Bombers dominated for 60 minutes. and uh, despite the inability to get it in the end zone for the majority of the game, I think I have to tend to agree with you on all three sides of the ball. I mean, defense, this was their best showing of the season, hands down, uh, against the Ticats, uh, for the Bombers, forcing turnovers, getting that pressure. Here, here's a question for you. How much of the Bomber defensive improvement have perhaps been thanks to the CFL challenge rule changing and the defense may be relaxing a little bit, but they're not going to be flagged on every single. I, I I personally don't attribute that to any of it. I uh, I mean, CFL challenges are down. Right. I I don't know if it affects that affects the defense that much though. Um. Yeah. No, it's just, just an interesting thought because you know those last two games were when they made the changes. Maybe a little bit, you know, they kind of relaxed, but hey, we're not going to be flagged for. Well, I mean, it doesn't change the flag rules, though, right? Like, the actual rules, you're still going to get flagged if you do something wrong no matter right. what. I mean, yeah, okay, it limits a couple penalties, you know, you might get away with now because coaches can only challenge once um, per game. But uh, overall effect on it, I think, is pretty negligent for uh, in terms of ch the changes to the rules on the performance of the defense. I chalked that up uh, just to the defense all around playing better. Um it was mentioned on Twitter by Gary Lawless, former CFL reporter. Now he's in uh, Vegas with the Golden Knights hockey team, but he still follows the CFL. You know, he was talking about how perhaps Mike O'Shea is uh, a little more involved with this Bombers defense. Now he was talking about that on Twitter that, uh, while yes, Richie Hall is still involved in the defense, Mike O'Shea's uh, kind of getting more of an input on it now. And you have to wonder if that is true, how much of an impact that's been having on them. Another thing I want to talk about quickly, Bruce Johnson, no longer a blue bomber. Yeah, that uh, that chalk that up to the play of Brian Walker so far this season. Uh, Bruce Johnson was scheduled to come off the six-game injured list. Um, the way the Bombers' defense has been playing lately, the, the way Brian Walker said, stepped up, um, ended up making him expendable for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Do I personally agree with him being released? No. Uh, I, I think it would have been good to keep him around, but um, well, it remains to be seen how that impacts the team. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, and just to uh, just to finish up that thought on uh, you know the 60-minute game finally for the Bombers because that's something I've been lamenting for the last couple of weeks that I haven't seen a 60-minute effort from this team. I just talked about how the defense stepped up, um, the offense. Although they didn't get in the end zone for a majority of the game, they really ate up the clock, made things difficult for the Hamilton Tiger Cats to really get anything going. Um, because they dominated the clock, they marched all the way down the field, and that defense got tired, and you saw it late in the game. Uh, and on special teams, I thought the Bombers' return game did a really great job. Um, both Kevin Fogg and Ryan Lankford, with a couple big returns, uh, set up that offense that even if they struggled to get into the red zone, um, they basically put them in the they basically put them in field goal range on almost every drive uh, with the length of Justin Medlock's leg. Um, that even if the Bombers' offense stalled, they were still going to get points off of it. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting, just what you said. Yeah. Um, game I want to move into talking about next is uh, the one we saw last night, Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the BC Lions, because to me that's, that's the real interesting one this Ooh. week, because... Uh, flashback to the week before, essentially, I, I say essentially a 30 nothing win for the mm -hmm. BC Lions. It was 30-0, to zero, garbage time, Brandon Bridge comes in, throws two touchdowns, and I mean, it, the stat line, okay, 30-15, to 15, it doesn't look like that bad, but all intents and purposes, the BC Lions dominated the game before, and then we have this rematch this week coming into Regina, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, I still pick BC to win this game. I don't know. I believe yeah, you did I, as I well. Um, but boy, were we wrong. And that's, I mean, the Riders 41-8, to I believe, the final yeah. score in this one. Uh, this game was over early. Uh, 
Wally Buono, what I'm going to stop you right there because Ed Gainey just intercepted another pass. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. No, uh, for me, I have to go back to pregame. Uh, Wally Buono, I'd like to know what he's thinking. Well, I mean, even... Travis Lule is 3-1 as a starter. Jonathan Jennings hasn't played in a couple weeks. Why upset the apple card? I mean, we always knew this was going to happen, right? The second Jennings is back, Jennings is going to play. Uh, also, uh, to argue, Travis Lule throughout practice all week was hanging out with the uh, injured players uh, during okay. practice. So you don't know from that hit he took to the ribs the week before if that was maybe affecting him a little bit. Um, I don't think it's a, pro- a surprise that Jonathan Jennings came in like to start this week. Um, what is a complete surprise to me is uh, how bad it went. Uh, Jonathan Jennings looked lost. Well, he even said after the game this was the hardest game of his career, um, hardest game he's ever played. He, here's the situation, right? You throw three first-quarter interceptions, all to Ed Ganey. Yes. Yep. One of them returned for a touchdown. The other two resulted in points for the Riders. I believe at one point in the game, didn't Ganey have as many uh, receptions as the entire Lions offense at once? Well, one point early on. I, I did your pun there. Um, how do you look at the fact? Uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But that being said, Ryan, it's hard to come back when you turn the football over. Oh, uh, for sure. And the Ryder defense knew that they forced three turnovers, resulting in multiple points. You know, Kevin Lund is Kevin Lund, and Kevin Lund was A-plus last night. Uh, the way Kevin Lund can play when you... As he's been most games this season. Let him get into a rhythm. I just, I have to wonder exactly what is happening when, what the mindset is. Like, you've thrown three... Even two interceptions, one interception at outside the field. What goes through your mind to throw it to the exact same yeah, if opportunity I'm, if it didn't work before? You just kind of help the riders kind of tee off on you throughout the game, right? Did they know that they've in essence taken away your running game because you're so far behind? And they can steam, at, steam you differently, kind of a prevent defense, but kind of a prevent you from going to anyone but Ed Gainey yeah (laughs) basically Basically. Um, but yeah I mean you throw one interception okay shake it off that was a bad throw let's get back out there you throw a second one not only uh you know just an interception but to the same guy you start thinking okay that's not good but uh you know it's not doom and gloom two interceptions a game you throw through three interceptions in the first quarter to the same guy why are you ever throwing to that same position to the rest of the game, you know? Like, um, chalk that up to the bomb or not the Bombers, this is the Lions. Um, the BC Lions coaching staff, the way they uh, designed the plays for this game, uh, and they called the plays throughout the game. Chalk that up to Jonathan Jennings, Travis Lule, Alex Ross, the way they played in this game. Um, I mean, here's basically a- nothing went right for the BC Lions. Here's another thing. Don't know if you saw the on-demand for this game at all. Not yet, no. Okay, watch it if you can. Watch early in the first quarter. Wally Buono loses it with his team in the locker room on the pre-game camera, like they have the camera in the locker room. Right, yeah, so that I saw. And he says, what are you, (laughs) paraphrasing, what are you supposed to do when I walk in here? I think he knew something about his football team during the week. Leading up to the game, and I think he just had a bad feeling all the way around, and it started with those comments. Well, and if you follow us on Twitter, you would have seen me say uh, last week during the game, uh, the first matchup between these two teams, when the Lions were up 30 to nothing late, the key for the Lions coming into this rematch is to uh, not be overconfident and lazy in preparation, because too often you see that happen. Um, where teams, okay, we won the one game, and we're going to easily beat them the week after. That's exactly what happened with the BC Lions this week. They got overconfident. They got a little cocky, uh, I personally think, and they were just underprepared. They uh, they were lazy in preparation this week, um, and, you know, they thought they had this game in the bag, and while well, the Riders went and uh, showed them pretty quickly early on in this one that uh, that was most definitely not the case. 
bottom line in the CFL, it ain't what you think it is if you don't put the work in. Without a doubt. And that's something that I love home and home series in the CFL. I think they uh, bring such an interesting dynamic uh, in terms of how do you game plan for the team you just faced the week before. Uh, we've got a lot of these home and home series coming up. You know, the Argos and the uh, Montreal Alouettes have their rematch this week. Um, I think the uh, and then obviously you have Labor Day with the Bombers and Riders back to back and then the Battle of Alberta back to back. Those games to me are always interesting to watch because what happens one week, as the Riders just showed us, has absolutely no impact on what's going to happen the next week. Bring it on, but also poor CFL for scheduling a great up rematch back to back in week one and week two. I will not let them forget that. Why? What didn't you like about that? I didn't like the two great football teams at the time, so we thought played so early. Hmm. Hey, I get them trying to start off the season with a bang. Back to back. I I, I can see it. Um, we had that we had that uh the year before as well in weeks three and four the Eskimos and the uh, Red Blacks faced each other in week three and four so I get what CFL is trying to do with that um props to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders because they yep. really came out this game and they dominated and uh, that's something that before the game against BC the week before I thought okay the Riders their record doesn't tell the story this is still a good football team and then after that game against the Lions last week. I was starting to get concerned, okay, but this was a key win the Riders needed to stay uh, stay with the West Division, which is running away with this with this season mm-hmm. so far. Um, if the Riders were in the East, they'd be tied for first place in the East Division right now. Um, we're not going to get more into that because you know where we all stand on that. Um, but for Saskatchewan, this was a huge win, and this actually makes things real interesting in the West Division the next couple of weeks because this week you've got the Bombers and the Eskimos playing each other. You've got the Lions and the Stampeders playing each other. And then you'd have the other team, the Riders, on a bye. And then uh, next week the Riders play the Eskimos. Um, and then you have you have the Labor Day situations, at, uh, Riders and Bombers twice in a row, Eskimos and Stampeders twice in a row. So the West Division could get really interesting, especially if this week the Bombers upset the Eskimos and the uh, BC Lions beat Calgary. Is it an upset? I, I, I say upset. Just 7 and 0, 5 and 2? That, that's the only reason I said upset was the better record, and I think the Bombers are slight underdogs in this game, but it's certainly going to be a close game. Um, but, I mean, Saskatchewan dominated this game. Their defense um, coming into this game had five turnovers all season, I believe, right? Yeah. But... And uh, Ed, Gamey, Ed Gainey by himself had five turnovers this night. Um, if they're no, he had four interceptions and a fumble recovery. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Um, in, my, in my head, I thought he had... If there's any question who defensive player of the week is... Um, and overall player of the and week. And overall player of the week. I mean, it's Ed Gainey. There's no question about it. I am concerned about the Riders. Why? They're good at home. Crap the bed in Calgary. Crap the bed in BC. Both on the road. Right, that's something that... So how much do we chalk the Riders record up to home field advantage? I would say it has a large uh, impact on it. That's something they certainly need to fix out. The uh, record on the road, two of their last three games on the road, uh, they scored zero points in the first quarter. And, you know, in their last three games coming into this one, uh, in the first half, sorry, uh, in their last three games coming into this one, three points in total in the first half. So... That's something that they really fixed up early in this game. The defense got to Jonathan Jennings. Um, sacks, fumbles, interceptions, and um, the offense got rolling by themselves as well. One thing before we move on to it, uh, just trying to talk about the other teams this week. What do you make of Deron Carter playing defensive back for the Riders in this game? Uh, Deron Carter lines up late, defensive back. Almost has the interception until Ed Gainey comes out of nowhere and picks it off for his fourth of the night. What? Why? Chris Jones experimented. And this is something Chris Jones does all the time. We've seen... Look at the A.C. Leonard A.C. Leonard used to be a receiver in B.C. Now he's a defensive lineman, I believe, yep. for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, Ricky Collins, if you remember, wide receiver for the Riders the last couple of years. He spent some time at defensive back this year. 
it's something you don't see very often in football. What do you, why do you think Chris Jones does this? And do you think, uh, do you like that he does this or no? Chris Jones, Brendan athletes, athletes can play anywhere. I like Chris Jones's thinking. He's thinking ahead. Is, for, for thinking, if something ever happens on the depth chart. So is this something you think we're looking forward uh, to seeing more often, Deron Carter at defensive back? No, no. And I, uh, how does this uh, do uh, interceptions count for uh, receiving yards in uh, CFL fantasy? Or <laughs> No, but I mean, in all seriousness, I think it was just one play. Let's see how it goes. We talked about the struggles with the Hamilton Tiger Cats so far. Um, losing again this week. They're 0-7. Um, we basically, if we keep talking about, you know, what needs to change in that, I feel like we're almost beating a dead horse in that sense. Um, so I'm going to not necessarily focus on the Tiger Cats, but the team they're playing this week, the Ottawa Red Blacks, uh, losing another close game this week to the Eskimos. 1-6-1 and one now for the Ottawa Red Blacks. They're playing the 0-7-0 Hamilton Tiger Cats this week. What, how long do you can you keep defending the Red Blacks? How long can you keep defending the Tiger Cats in the same sense? Oh, I haven't defended the Tiger Cats all season. Well, it's just... Uh, certainly there are people that are, uh, and, and I get I get why you're doing so. Um, Look at the standards. And Ottawa win their one game, one point back to first in the East. Hamilton's three wins back of being tied for first in the East. They're 0-7 for goodness <laughs> sake. Um, for Ottawa, this is a team that all season long, I mean, they lost another close one this week. Um, they they play well, they just can't finish it off, make a couple mistakes, you know. And uh, this is a team I've defended all season long because I still think they are a good football team. Um, losing late to the Eskimos here, it doesn't impact that that much. But I tell you, if they lose this game to the Ticats this week, I'm going to find a hard time defending the Red Blacks any further. It's probably, they will probably end up 1-1 or tied. It's going to be tied. Just book it. As crazy as the CFL is, one team with one win coming against a team with zero. If this isn't the most hyped-up matchup in CFL history, of course I'm being sarcastic when I say this, um, I don't know what Maybe is. Maybe there is the hype. Pardon me? Who can take over the... Uh, to me, this is the season for the Hamilton Tiger Cats right here, right now. They lose this game. They're three back trying to get even out of last place. And a game behind in the tie break. Time's running out if it hasn't already. Either the Red Blacks pick up a second win this week or the Tie Cats finally pick up their first. Um, trying to, well, I say keep pace, trying to, you know, almost pull ahead in that East Division that's struggling. I want to talk about the other two teams here, Montreal Alouettes and Toronto Argonauts. They played the first game of the week, and then they're playing again this week. Um, that game, uh, after Ricky Ray went down the week before, we all thought it was going to be Cody Fajardo who came in in that game uh, starting this week. The Argos elect to go with Jeff Matthews, and obviously that didn't turn out so well. Matthews struggled greatly against the Alouettes, who have a strong defense. Um, gets pulled at halftime, replaced by Cody Fajardo in the second half. What did you see in this game from the Argos, uh, both with Matthews and then Fajardo? Um, and how do you think that plays into the rematch coming up this week? No Ritty Ray? Big trouble. No Ricky Ray, no Mike picking a Toronto. Is that safe to say? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> On the flip side, I wasn't really impressed with Montreal either. How so? I think they lost that killer instant, air quotes. They let him hang around. Darian Durant is a dead quarterback, but he's been very average this year. And this is, uh, I would say the Argos blew this one late, most definitely. Um, well, actually, throughout the game, I mean, they had a touchdown and a field goal, I believe, both called back on uh, two, touchdowns. two touchdowns called back due to penalties um, that were unnecessary penalties. Um, and then late in the game, I mean, Fajardo goes and makes a great play on third and that 20, the ball. Um, makes a great play on third and 20, goes and, you know, dodges a couple tackles, gets open, throws it wide open, Khalil Payton, and he drops it in the end zone. So, I mean, like the Argos shot themselves in the foot in this game. Um, 
Jeff Matthews experiment at quarterback. I think that's safe to say uh, as a starter, he that's done in Toronto after one half. Uh, if Ricky Ray isn't good to go this week, there's no question in my mind it's going to be Cody Fajardo starting for the Argos. Um, a lot of people impressed with how he played in that second half. His yardage total still wasn't very great, um, but he certainly showed better signs than Jeff Matthews did. Which is surprising to come into the game. Matthews had most CFL experience than Fajardo. Yeah, but not much, to be fair. Uh, Matthews was kind of an unknown. Um, both of them were coming into this game what they were going to do. Speech volumes about the importance of a backup quarterback. Exactly. For the Alouettes, I thought this was a good bounce-back game for them. Uh, you know, after the week before. Or had, they had the bye week after that uh, letdown against the Bombers late. I, I had visions, but they were going to blow the game the other night. No word of a lie. Yeah, I mean, if the Argos don't take those penalties, it's an entire different game. Um, defensively, I thought the Alouettes had a much better time. They're, they're backbone right now. Dorian Durant's kind of sputtering. He's managing the game. Wins and losses hinge on the defense right now. And then they have the rematch coming up this week. Um, very, very interesting. Yeah, what do you make of the rematch uh, after what we've seen with BC and uh, Saskatchewan? Um, are we, uh, you know, given that situation, are we in for Cody Fajardo, 400-yard game and a couple touchdowns against the Alouettes? No, but I think Cody prepares easier this, this week, assuming he starts, because he's seen what they had. I mean, how many did I say I made my first CFL start? Then I had a rematch against the same team, and I didn't necessarily play very well. So I think he's seen what Montreal can give him. And I expect Fajardo to do better, but whether he can outdo Darian Durant in that Montreal defense, I'm not so sure. One thing I wanted to mention, um, coming from last night's game between the BC Lions and Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and this is not a show about politics, it's a show about football, but I loved the shirts that the CFL came out with, uh, had players, uh, had Wally Buono wearing. Um, diversity is strength, given everything going on in the world, in the U.S. right now. Uh, I know this was something the CFL was planning on bringing out later in the season, um, and then elected to bring out at the right time right now. A-plus job to the CFL, A-plus job to the CFL commissioner, Randy Ambrosi. Uh, I love the message um, that these shirts bring, and I thought it was a great message for the CFL to deliver. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think sports can send as much as uh, as much as people like to, don't like to hear this. Sports can send negative messages too, but the vast majority of those messages are positive. And they resonate with people. And, you know, I think I don't want to tie this into a conversation about Randy Ambrosi, but I don't think he's done too much wrong. And this is another A-plus idea by Randy Ambrosi. Most definitely. Uh, We're uh, rounding down into about seven minutes left in the show. Um, so it's time to get into our CFL picks for the week. All starts off Thursday night. The undefeated Eskimos come into town. Um, throwback to 2011. This uh, gives you big vibes of that when the Eskimos, I believe, were undefeated 5-0 and coming into town. Uh, Bombers were 4-1 and or something like that. Two football teams that have been on a roll lately. Um, do the Eskimos get their first loss this week? Do the Bombers continue? The Bombers do what they do. Come up just short. They lose by one point. Interesting. Because this is a thing I know before we went on air, you were you were picking the Bombers as far as I'm aware. So what, what what's made you change your mind on that? I'm not sold on... I had nightmares while Dave Campbell was talking about, you know, they've never lost an investor's group field and all that kind of stuff. And I had little nightmares about what Mike Riley had done to the Bomber defense. Right. And, uh, and I, mean, I don't know. Ask me after this week about the Bomber defense. If the Bomber's defense can step up and have a big game, hold Mike Riley to under 300 yards. 350. 350. That's more realistic when it comes to Riley. Okay, so 350 yards passing, 
and 50 yards rushing. I will be impressed. If you can keep basically Edmonton's offense under 400 yards in this game. The way you do that, pound, 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 10, 5, 7, 8, 9, 11, 13 yard plays, grind the clock of do what you do to end games in the game. I'm taking Edmonton to win this game. I think this might be their toughest matchup yet this season. Granted, those games against BC uh, should have been uh, and were tough matchups. Um, I'm interested. I'm very excited to watch this football game. Are you going? Um, I am not going to this one, no, unfortunately. I wish I was. Um, I'll be watching on TV that night. But the uh, the Bombers are going to make this a close football game. I don't think they'll pull this one out, though. Um, basically, my rules for CFL Pick'em um, that have made me pretty successful in this so far this season are the Eskimos playing. Are they? Uh, if so, I'm picking the Eskimos. Are the Stampeders playing? If so, I'm picking the Stampeders. Is the West playing the East? If so, I'm picking the West Division, and that seems to be the recipe for success. One final um, note before you move on to the next game: Blue Bomber 50/50 starts at $100,000 on Thursday. Right, a bit of an incentive. Try to get more people into the stands. Um, Bombers hoping for a sellout, obviously, uh, with the undefeated Eskimos. But imagine it'd be a good day on Thursday last. I heard Sunday in 26 or whatever, so uh, get in the stands. The battle uh, of the least in the CFL East, the uh, uh, Red Blacks and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. In Hamilton at Tim Hortons Field, which used to be a place that teams hated to go play. Now you're marking that one on your calendar and looking forward to it. Um, for the Red Blacks, is this uh, is this week they pick up win number two, or do the Ticats finally pull one out? There's an order in Hamilton that just will not go away. Ottawa's a better team and advertised. They pull out the one play this week. Ottawa by 10. I'm taking Ottawa as well. I still think they're a decent football team, that their record doesn't really speak volumes to what they are as a team. Uh, the Ticats record, I think, pretty much sums up who they are as a football team. Um, so I'm taking the Red Blacks to win this game, and uh, I'm going to uh, probably continue picking against the Ticats until they finally win a game this season. Um, because what I saw thir- uh, Thursday night against the Bombers, Friday night, Saturday, 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 I'll get my days of the week right yet, um, that summed up to me their season so far. Uh, moving into the next game, the Lions coming off a disaster against the Riders, the Stampeders coming off a bye week, this game's in B.C., uh, boy, oh boy, the stitch couldn't be higher. Who are you taking? Well, BC's a better team than what they showed Saturday or Sunday. Now, I tend to get my days of the wheat straight. <laughs> coming off of a short wheat, Calgary coming off a bye, Huffnagel coming off a bye. Well, Huffnagel's not coaching now, but. Well, Dickinson coming off a bye, Calgary historically coming off a bye is always dominant, not to mention they've scored 101 points in their last two games. Three-point game, Calgary. I'm taking the Stampeders, speaks to my model of success that, uh, you know, I'm always going to pick the Stampeders. Something is going to give this week, Ryan, I just don't know what. Uh, And then the rematch, Montreal-Toronto to end off the week. Um, I don't know if Ricky Ray is going to start yet. I personally don't think he will. Um, I'm taking the Alouettes in this rematch. Yeah, with the first day of practice being tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, watch through Friday, game Saturday, three games and then three days and then a watch through. Won't know till tomorrow. Even if if Ricky Ray plays, they stand a chance if he doesn't. Uh, I think uh, Montreal wins, but I mean it's the home the and home. You it, never know, right? But I have to visit since it's the bat, the bat. I put the Toronto Ardos. Assuming Ricky Ray plays. I also wanted to, uh, also in terms of the Red Blacks, I forgot to mention Kenny Shaw looks like he'll be possibly in the lineup for the first time this season. That's a big piece coming back for the Red Blacks this week. We'll see what that effect that has on them. Um, Quickly, 90 seconds. Ryan, I hear our podcast is on iTunes. Yes, now. we are. You can uh, subscribe, like, or I guess iTunes doesn't have likes, but subscribe, review, Share us on iTunes, the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, we'd love it if you uh, you know you go there right now, uh, and leave us a review how we did. Um, we'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on our show. Uh, also, with moderation. Yes. Also on Twitter, uh, interact with us there. I love talking football with everyone. I run our account, 
at CFC on Mike FM, uh, our Facebook page as well at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, and we're also on SoundCloud, the Canadian football countdown. And that will be updated as soon as possible with the latest podcast as well. Working on some other projects. I don't want to reveal too much more coming up in the next couple of weeks on that. We should be back on Monday at seven o'clock here on Mike FM. Do you want me to quit mention? Major announcement tomorrow at the UFW will have coverage on Mike FM's Facebook page, 12.28 p.m. Central Time. Also, another thank you to Dave Campbell from 6.30 Ched in Edmonton for joining us early on in the show um, and speaking with us about the Eskimos. That's it. Ryan, have a great week. You as well, Mike. I trust your lower body injuries coming along. Yes, the ankle is healing well. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. It's been the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM. Good night.